It's never easy to raise capital. It was a little easier for us because we have phenomenal investors. We have investors who believe in us. We have investors who believe in the product. And that's kind of something that I would tell other entrepreneurs. I know it's so important to just get money in the door, but if you have a few other options from an investment standpoint, I would always take money from those people who truly believe in your idea. They're not just trying to make the money. Of course, they're investing because they want to return, but those people who really get what you're doing will come back in and help bridge you through a crisis. Welcome to Babson Build, where we interview Babson founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the change makers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. This week's episode on Babson Built features Jason Kroparo, the founder and CEO of Hayo. Hayo, which is short for Hit It Off, is a virtual events platform. Prior to Hayo, Jason was on the executive management team of Juma Ventures, a national social enterprise operating in six U.S. cities. Jason holds an MBA from Babson College, where he won the school's top honor, the Roger W. Babson Award, and the top academic award, the Sorensen Scholar. Jason also has been a certified private pilot since 2008. I'm Vaidehi Baker, and it's a pleasure to have you here, Jason, with us. Thank you, and welcome to Babson Build. Hi, Vaidehi. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Great. So um, let's get started with your professional experience. Can you tell us briefly what brought you to today? Absolutely. So I've had uh, mainly three three big roles throughout my career. I started early on as a owner-operator of a national restaurant chain, Sonic Drive-In, uh, where I worked for about four years owning and operating the drive-ins. That was in South Carolina. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And then I moved to San Diego, where I got on with Juma Ventures, the national social enterprise. And there we enabled inner city kids to create a better future for themselves by employing them out at major league and collegiate stadiums. And uh, we did all of the college services, FAFSA, tutoring, uh, everything that was needed to get these young people into college and then through college, completing a four-year degree. And that's where I decided at that point to end up pursuing an MBA from Babson and, uh, and then from Babson launched Hio. So that's kind of professionally, that's, that's uh, just the three big roles I've been, been at for the last 15 years. That sounds great. And I know you started Hio in the same year that you graduated from Babson. So is that an idea that you had even before you joined Babson or were you inspired in the MBA program? Yeah, I did not have the idea prior to Babson. And the idea, the initial idea for Hio uh, was not my initial idea. So I had a business partner uh, at Babson. So most of Babson, I was actually pursuing a redesign of a grocery store aimed at helping people with chronic illnesses better manage their conditions. So we, we tore all of the bad stuff out of a supermarket and left only what was good and had nutritional counseling and uh, a new scale for how to rate the food that you were going to consume to help you be healthier. And then I met my business partner at Babson. And really, when I saw what he was on to, I thought it was phenomenal. So I was actually the first investor in Ohio, put in $20,000, actually took, a, took out a student loan to make that investment into Ohio. And then it just kind of morphed into, initially, it was just a way for two people to easily swap contact info and social platforms. 
And then we, we built it into what it is today, powering events and relationships all across the country. Right. And is he still your co-founder today? He's not. I think he's about to pursue uh, law school. But when you guys did work together, can you talk a little bit more about your relationship and the kind of tasks you took on versus him to make sure you didn't kind of tread on each other's toes? Sure. Uh, so his name's Kip Taylor, uh, a phenomenal guy, super bright. He was he was much younger than me in the program, but a, a brilliant, brilliant man, thought of this, worked extremely hard to get it off the ground. He did more of the early on, he was managing developers. He was uh, doing a lot of design work, helping with pitch decks. I was doing fundraising and um, we... Very early on, uh, some of the design work as well, um, we didn't tread on each other that much. There was very much a clear division of labor uh, between the two of us. But as, as a startup, it was just the two of us. So we were, we were wearing several hats, doing anything and everything that needed to be done. Right. That sounds great. Um, can you now tell us a little bit more about Hyo? What exactly is it? Sure. So Hyo is, we're a technology company that powers relationships. So our vision is to power all of the world's connection. Wherever two people are coming together in person or virtually uh, from different walks of life for the same reason and they're, and they're doing something together, we want to be the way that they exchange information. So as a brand, HIO, we believe that people go on these blended journeys together, that a relationship is a blended journey. And we span that entire relationship journey from hitting it off in person, HIO stands for hit it off, uh, in person or virtually, taking that relationship digital through sharing of contact info, socials, websites, documents, and then getting back in touch with one another. So we have an entire suite of follow-up features that allow you to send pre-scripted emails, uh, set a reminder, propose a meeting, take a note, make, make an introduction. So the idea with HIO is that it's just not a way to swap information, but it really helps you build better, deeper, stronger relationships. and that happens and manifests into our products, which are event-related. So we believe people go to events for two reasons, content and to build relationships. And since we can't control the content of an event, we try to help you build better, deeper relationships at the event through our tools. So folks could, uh, could attend casual recurring events on our platform. Uh, our sweet spot is really 50 to 1,000 attendees, but they happen regularly. They happen over and over again. So Think of uh, networking events, uh, chamber of commerce events, associations, uh, alumni association events as well. Uh, so that's really Ohio sweet spot because we do not focus on conferences or trade shows because the brand is so focused on relationships over time. We want you to continue to come back and use it. And we don't really uh, care all that much about putting 10,000 people on the platform for one event and then never use us again. We really want you to bring your entire community to Ohio and then host your events, and then allow people to connect over time. That's interesting. And with everything going on with the pandemic right now, can you tell us if there was a high enough demand for virtual events before the pandemic? You know, I don't know if there was, there was not a, a massive demand for virtual events before the pandemic. I know that for sure. HIO actually powered in-person events before the pandemic. And right about December, January, I, I had had my third child. We moved out to the suburbs uh, a year prior, and I found it difficult to myself go into the city. We were about an hour now outside of Philadelphia, I, and I just said, boy, you know, it's really difficult 
to get to these networking events. And I hedged early on, even before the pandemic, on virtual. If you want to go to a networking event, you have to forego your evening with your children or your spouse, and you take a train or a car into the city an hour. You park, you pay for parking, you walk to the venue. You maybe meet 10 or 12 people, have some conversations. You get back in the car, you do the reverse commute. Your entire night is gone, and you may or may not have had some personal relationships uh, that will kind of um, result in anything. And so I believe strongly early on that virtual is going to be uh, massive. However, I thought that the onus was going to be on HIO to educate people that virtual events and virtual networking events could be a viable uh, alternative to in-person. But the pandemic kind of educated people for me, which is, which is, uh, of course, not a blessing, but it's something that that helped us in that regard, that we were very early moving into virtual. The pandemic hit. We were well positioned to respond to the demand. And um, it helped because now really folks didn't have an option. They were forced into the Zoom world uh, where virtual meetings are kind of the norm now. Right. And how has the market changed since the pandemic? Has the competitive landscape changed drastically in the last six months compared to the last few years? 100%. We saw, you know, I think, I think when, I, when I do these types of interviews, the thing that I always go back to is that the American spirit of entrepreneurship and ingenuity and pivoting and meeting the market needs is alive. Uh, it's alive and well. And we saw this because let's say, let's just take virtual events, a very broad category. You saw people who, like Hio, for example, we were a networking focused platform. We moved into virtual. You saw architecture firms that were doing 3D renderings of buildings start to do 3D renderings of venues. And you saw uh, virtual reality companies, augmented reality companies that were doing um, just video conferencing now pivoted and went into events. So we have seen uh, an unbelievable demand for virtual. And what is interesting is because, as Babson says, start now and start with what you have, we saw people pivot to virtual events to offer whatever they had, but they started from where they were. And so it's very interesting when you look out into the landscape right now to see how different some of these offerings are, none really better or worse than the other, just how different they are based on where they started. Right. And do you think the spurt in demand for virtual networking tools is short-lived or do you believe it will sustain? Because I know there are a lot of students spending entire days doing classes online and professionals working online all day. And all of this just causes screen fatigue, right? So how do you plan on overcoming this problem? Yeah, well, I'll answer the first part of that first. I don't think virtual is short-lived. I do believe that in the next two to three years, we'll be operating in a hybrid world where you are doing several events and meetings virtually. I think it caused a lot of companies to rethink their travel budgets. Do we need, you know, we were kind of forced to do business on the screen, in the video, uh, on the Zoom calls. And so I I think, and I've talked to several CEOs of larger companies who said, we're rethinking our budget. We don't need to put people on airplane and pay for food and overnight accommodations. These meetings have, the pandemic has showed us that we can still do business in this way. So in terms of virtual networking tools, short-lived, I believe that it'll be certainly hybrid. There will be in-person. Virtual never replace the the in-person connections. 
But there are some people that are going to be shy going out of the gate um, when kind of COVID kind of quote goes away, if it goes away. So we were actually well positioned because we did in-person events prior to the pandemic. And now we have virtual, we can do in-person virtual or hybrid events. Uh, and that's good. We, I do think that some of these companies that have just gone strictly virtual, they will be hurting when kind of things ease up and people get back in person. But I still think there's going to be a demand. And the second part of your question, which is how do we plan on overcoming this problem? We specifically believe in that hybrid world that I talked about. And so for us, it's diversifying the tools, giving people the ability to have in-person or virtual or hybrid events, and even then uh, giving them tools not just to do video conferencing. So for example, Zoom is video conferencing. I can see you. I can hear you. Uh, but there's really no engagement. There's no hovering over uh, a person's name and finding out more about them and sending them a friend request and carrying that relationship off. So uh, we're, we're using what we have right now um, to plan for that future, to give people different types of virtual events. For example, we have a Zoom-like event. We call it Host Moderated. You can screen record. You can bring people up on stage. You can uh, share your screen. I'm sorry, uh, you can record it as well, share your screen. But then we also have a virtual lounge event type. So that is tables of two or four or six or eight. And people can sit down at a table. Other people join them. It's, it's all video. When you stand up from a table, theoretically, then we'll say, hey, Jason, you met these nine people. Who do you want to friend? And so that's our, our virtual lounge event. You can also do one-on-one -on -one conversation. But then we've also built a speed networking event where with tables before, switching every five minutes, trying to optimize the amount of the number of connections you can make. So for us, we're going to continue to build different types of virtual events to be able to broaden our reach for consumers who are just kind of zoomed out and they want a different type of virtual event. They want something that's fun. They want something that's easy. They want something that kind of leads them to better, deeper, stronger relationships uh, when they hit it off with people at these events. Right. And I know, I know you touched on this a little bit, but um, I wanted to, again, understand how you distinguish Hyo from its competitors and who are Hyo's competitors currently? So the number one thing that distinguishes us from the competitors is the relationship. We focus on the relationship. If you go onto a Zoom call, you can see the participant, their name only. You can't send them a friend request after the event. You can't go back and access the guest list and friend someone and continue the conversation. So fundamentally, HIO is, even before COVID, the, what distinguished us was the relationships, but it's also how we look at the event space. So typically, um, this is in-person events. Typically, for in-person events, you buy a ticket to an event and you're asked to download the event app. So you do so, and you create your profile, you attend the event, and you meet, let's say, 18 people. Well, once that event ends, that mobile app is 100% useless. It has no function in your life. You delete it. So you hope to maybe export your CSV file, the, the 18 people in a CSV file, and then um, you can talk to them if you want, email them. What HIO does is we were big on the reusability. We wanted to build a two-sided market. Uh, and if you think about two-sided markets, communities, um, Uber has a community of drivers, and then you can open up the app and book a ride. Airbnb has a community of hosts, and then you can open up the app and book a place to stay. Hiyo has been busy 
stockpiling a community of small, casual networking events so that your average user can open up the app and discover interesting events nearby, buy a ticket through the app, use Hio to attend the event, to build relationships, to swap information, to follow up, and then the very next day, discover another event nearby. And so um, really, when we think about the fact that you don't need to delete this app, the people you met in January at the networking event or February, March, they you come back to the app to follow up, to give them a compliment, to introduce them to someone, to propose a meeting. Um, so we looked at it differently. We didn't want it to be deleted uh, the, uh, the moment the event ended. That's an interesting take. I like that. So can you talk a little bit about who you see as your competitors? Would you consider Zoom to be a competitor? Sure. I, I definitely think that any company that is doing video right now is a competitor. So just like if we were if we were a restaurant, uh, we wouldn't think that just all restaurants were our competitors. Even a supermarket is our competitor. So that's kind of how anywhere that someone could get food. So we're definitely thinking of video conferencing platforms, um, run the world, hop in. Um, there, Zoom is certainly there. There's a lot of other bigger companies that we used to compete with directly, Bizabo, Cvent. And so those, those companies we compete with, but Hio also, one of the things um, that Babson teaches is the business model canvas. And this is something that I teach on regularly at, at other colleges. We looked at the business model canvas and we said, how can we differentiate in, in ways that consumers find meaningful? And so we didn't just iterate or innovate on the value proposition. We certainly did, but we didn't stop there. We looked at our cost structure. We looked at our partnerships. We looked at our own pricing. So at HIO, we charge $1 per attendee per event. When we looked at the pricing in this industry before we came out with virtual, it was so confusing. People tried to you know, create their own digital currency. They, they were charging a percentage of your ticket fee plus a dollar amount, um, flat fees up front, thousands of dollars, some people on the back end. It was so confusing. If you looked at 10 companies, you had 10 different pricing. And so that was really a strategic decision early on where we said, we want something very simple where two organizers or hosts are talking to each other. One could say, yeah, you should check out Hio. It's only $1 per attendee per event. Um, and so we've, we've innovated across the entire business model canvas. Customer relationships are, are huge as well. So in, in the customer segments, just for example, those conferences and trade shows I talked about, we don't do those. Those represent 30% of this market. We actually go after the 70% of the market, those smaller recurring casual events. It's completely fragmented where the other 30%, those conferences and trade shows, those are actually heavily concentrated. So we wanted to focus on the larger opportunity that was fragmented and be that unifying force. And we took it a step further with the customer relationships. When you sign up with one of our competitors, you just sign up uh, and you start using the software. We actually, which is something that, that was really important to us, we looked at the customer journey, not just of how they buy our products and services, but what does an actual event organizer do? And this was, this was in the physical realm, so when we hosted physical events. We said, let's talk to our organizers and find out what their day is like. They told us, we found out, 70% of event organizers that host with us do it as a second job. So they already have a full-time job. They work like a nine-to-five. And then at night, they host events. They have a side hustle. And of those those 30% that do it as a full-time job, 
typically there's three or less employees in the company. So these are people that are trying to do more with less resources. They're working their tails off and they really needed tools that helped them compete with the bigger boys, so to speak. And so what we did was we said, okay, well, what's it like when you get to the venue? Well, my feet are tired because I've been working all day. I'm a little hungry because I had to skip dinner. You know, I wish I could have freshened up, but I wasn't able to. Well, what are you concerned about? I'm concerned maybe I have bad breath or, or you know, maybe I'm a little on the stinky side. And so what we do now for our customer relationships is when someone signs up with Hio, they get a little Hio fanny pack uh, that kind of looks cool. It's, um, it's got our brand on it. And inside of it, it has a bunch of items, a granola bar uh, from a company called 88 Acres, actually a Babson bread, uh, which is free of nut and allergens. So it's got the granola bar with a little note. Hey, we know you probably skipped a meal. Here's a little something to keep you going. It's got breath freshener, right? So, hey, we know, we know you didn't have an opportunity to freshen up. It's got um, so many, a charger for your, for your phone because they told us their phone was on empty most of the time. So we, we pack these things in with a little note that lets them know that we know who they are and we know what they're struggling with. And so that's, that, that was a strategic decision on the business model canvas where we said, Look, we believe our, our model is attractive. So when it comes time for other people to move to our model and try to compete with us and maybe lower their price to compete on price, we want our organizers to say, Hio knows us. They get us. They love us. And we love them. And we would never change. And so that was really important to us from a business model canvas on the customer relationships to assert ourselves and, and let our customers know, we know who you are. We know what you need. And we want to take care of you. That sounds fantastic. So let's shift gears a little and talk a bit about raising capital. Um, In 2019, you were able to raise about $2 million. When and how did you realize it was time to start raising? Uh, When we saw the the foreseeable end of the, the runway. So that I mean, easy answer, but uh, we're constantly looking at our cash burn and how much money we're going to need to do the things that we need to do. So yeah, that, that was something where we were planning on raising money for about eight months before we really needed to, uh, having discussions with investors. And we planned for it. We, we looked in the market. We, of course, did our homework, put together a pitch deck, got in front of investors, and then we're able to close on that round. Right. And you said you mentioned your timeline was about eight months, but how easy or hard was it to raise this much capital? For us, it was um, that was a rolling close as well, I'll just say. So uh, it might say 2019. We were actually raising that was kind of rolling closes throughout 2018 and 2019. But it, it's never easy to raise capital. It was a little easier for us because we have phenomenal investors. We have investors who believe in us. We have investors who believe in the product and they're willing to make introductions. They're willing to reinvest. Every time uh, we have been up against the wall and had a fundraising crisis, they have stepped in to help bridge the company and we couldn't be more fortunate. And and that's kind of something that I would tell other investors or other entrepreneurs. I know it's so important to just get money in the door, but if you have a few other options, for, for from an investment standpoint, I would always take money from those people who truly believe in your idea. They're not just trying to make the money. Of course, it's it's uh, financially motivating. They're investing because they want to return. But those people who really get what you're doing, they're enthusiastic about what you're doing. Um, they're, you hit it off with the investor as well because inevitably things will go south from time to time. And when you call them and you have a call and you're and you're giving them the updates. 
you know, those people who really believed in you from the beginning and they want the best for you will come back in and help you and help bridge you through a crisis, especially like this pandemic. Perfect. I think that's really good advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs looking to raise capital. So finally, can you tell us what's ahead for Hayo? Sure. You know, with virtual events and events in general, we used to go after the event organizer themselves. So I meet you, you're maybe the president of the Babson Alumni Association, and we do a demo. The sales cycle pretty much would take about a week to two weeks on average. And then we do a training and an orientation and you're up and running and then your events kind of go off. That happened to every single customer that we did. And it was very labor intensive. And so for us, when we're looking at how do we scale our platform, it's actually how do we scale the sales? So we've invested heavily in the sales and service pipeline that we have, automating those activities. So how can someone come on to the HIO platform and self-service? How can they find out what our value is and how we can help them and their attendees not have to talk to a salesperson, come on, self-serve, start hosting events, do everything seamlessly themselves. And then if they run into trouble, instead of calling us or getting us on a video chat, which would typically cost between $75 and $90 per issue for for the company, how do we get them to self-serve? How do we get them to watch a tutorial or to go in the knowledge base? So that's one thing that's kind of ahead is we're we're moving to more of a self-service model. The second piece is we're moving into a different customer segment, which is scalable altogether. So we used to focus on the one-to-one organizer. We get you in, you're an organizer, you're hosting events, we talk to you, we convey the value. Now we're focusing on, we've built out all of our APIs, which are available at hiosocial.com backslash docs. And we built out the APIs and we said, look, these ticketing and registration companies out there, which are there about 86 major players in this space, they do ticketing and registration for events, but they don't have an event app or a virtual offering for actually powering the events. And 83% of event organizers use an event app or a virtual offering. So we know that once you have the ticketing site, you then go and find a solution like HIO. So we're actually tapping in at the registration level to extend the value, partnering directly into their workflow, to extend the value further downstream and into the hands of the consumer. And what that means for us in terms of scale is, uh, we just partnered with one company that has 30,000 event organizers. It would take my sales team their entire natural life to get 30,000 event organizers. So we now have access in the workflow as you're creating your tickets to say, do you want to host this on HIO? Here's a short video of what it would look like and, and how much fun people would have and the value that it would bring to them and their lives. And so for us to tap into these 86 registration companies, potentially distributing our product into the hands of tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of users, that's where scale comes for us. And ironically, the sales cycle is really not all that much longer. Uh, But instead, you talk to uh, two or three people a couple of times and you land 30,000 event organizers rather than talking to one or two people uh, for that week, week and a half, and you land just that one customer. So that's what's ahead for HIO. Uh, We're we're really focusing right now on the self-service tools and the scalability that comes with partnering directly into the workflow from ticketing and registration companies. That sounds very exciting. And I want to wish you the best for all the plans you have for HIO. And um, I think with this, we've come to the end of our episode. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jason. This has been great. Um, So thanks very much. 
My pleasure, uh, Vaidehi. And I really appreciate all you're doing for the Babson community. It means a lot. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Babson Built. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us since that really helps others discover the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Babson Eship and on Facebook at Babson Entrepreneurs. We're grateful to the Babson College student and alumni founders who participate in this podcast. These are their stories. Join us again for more Babson Builds.